Hello and welcome to Level Up with Shay. Guess what? This is the last interview episode of season two, and I'm so excited about it because I have an awesome, kind, hilarious, and talented guest, Gilly Nassim. Gilly is a writer, actress, and performer based in Los Angeles. She has been a writer for The Other Two on HBO Max, Pretty Smart on Netflix, and AP Bio on Peacock. She is also a co-host of the live talk show, We're Gross, which was held at the UCB Theater in Los Angeles. And I'm so excited because after the long shutdown, it is coming back. And she and her co-host, Jake Jabor, who was a guest in season one, they get naked on stage. (laughs) I don't think every show, but a lot of them. In this episode, we talk about how Gilly viewed success after graduating college and trying to get into the entertainment industry, the many valuable things she learned from creating and making Weird Gross, the top three skills that helped her get a job as a TV writer, and some great advice for writers and artists on their journey as they navigate the entertainment industry. I had such a great time talking with Gilly and I hope you enjoy and get a lot out of our conversation. Please welcome to Level Up Boucher, Gilly Nassim. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Level Up Boucher. I'm so excited for my guest today, uh, writer on multiple shows, so many credits on IMDb. Like, I can't even, I would take up an hour just listing those out, but so excited for her to be here. It looks like she's a little scared. Um, Gilly Nassim. Hello. Hello. Are you, are you okay? You're like, Ugh. I just caught my own reflection, uh, or it's not a reflection, but in the zoom box and just thought I'd give you a little funny face. Okay, Shay. great. Great. I'm put it everywhere. If we have to spend two years looking at our own faces on a computer, we better make them funny. You yeah, know? that's true. That's true. I have like props nearby. I've started like keeping my computer props. I've got bunny ears. I've yes. got I've got dog ears. I've got googly eyes, you know. Nice. Okay. You gotta be ready. Liven it up. I like it. Being intentional with that. I like it. Yeah, I guess it's embarrassing to let you know that I was ready for it you have to it would have been cooler to make it seem like I just sort of procured these dog ears right no I'm prepared yeah I like that I mean just generally because you know you're a comedy writer you're a comedian and I think sometimes for me at least I kind of forget that like to make life fun because I'm like it's work it's the work that I'm gonna make fun instead of just like having fun with life I think we all feel that way sometimes because it's um, stressful and there's a lot on your mind. And I'm sure I am very annoying to some people. I don't think it's like this isn't it's not like appropriate at all times. But in general, I think people appreciate at least you making a fool of yourself. I'm not I'm not like trying to take up some I'm not gonna write a think piece about how bunny ears need to come back into the comedy landscape I don't necessarily think they have a place but yeah being being a fool people don't mind as long as you can like get back to work when it's time yeah that's super interesting too because I had a workshop I did a handful of workshops for laughter and mindfulness so it was more for like people in like uh you know nine to five jobs type of thing but it's it's still so funny because I'm like laugh more and be mindful, but still I'm coming sometimes from this place of like these rules rather than just like being silly and free. That is so fascinating. And what an interesting thing to know that people need help remembering to laugh throughout their day. Um, That that's great. That's a wonderful thing to provide for people. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. It was a great time in, in the pandemic. Cool. Well, I'm excited to talk about you. Yes. Let's go. So I want to start in college. So you've, you're from California. You've been in theater. You were in musical theater as a, as a kid growing up. And so you've kind of always been in that space, in the art space. And then you went to college, you studied political science and minored in English. Correct. What was the choice for like political science? Like, did you also know you wanted to be in entertainment and perform and all that? 
Oh, Shay, it was a defeat. It was yeah. a, a concession, a compromise. Um, uh, that, yes. First of all, I just want to say it's very jarring and, and kind of exciting. I feel very important hearing someone else uh, say my bio back to me. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel important. Um, I was absolutely gunning to be an actor. It's like the only choice. I, in my fifth grade elementary school yearbook, I said I wanted to be a wildlife photographer, but I think that was like a lie. I, I think I already knew I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't feel like I was like special enough to say it. It yeah. was all I ever wanted. I grew up around some kids who were doing it in the LA area, the suburbs of LA in the, in the Valley and, or people's parents who had some role in the industry, not a ton. It was a big mix of all, you know, none of my close friends, everyone's parents are like carpenter and like a teacher, yeah. like, you know, it wasn't like I was totally inundated with it, but felt very possible. So I wanted it real bad. And I wanted to go I took a scene study class. Uh, it was Cynthia Bain's Young Actor Studio. I started, I just followed a friend who was doing it. I started when I was 14 and everyone else in the class but me was on television. Mm. <laughs> like They were like the kids who move here for pilot season with one yeah. parent and they have another parent in their Southern home state taking care of their siblings. And they're just here like to living in the Oakwood apartments, it was still called that, and like just like trying to make their dream come true. And then I was like, my mom drove me half an hour to take this <laughs> class. I like acting. And uh, I looked old. I'm tall. You and me, you know, I'm sure this happened to you too, where it's like, I was obviously a child, but people don't know what to do with you when you have height, like you're a tree, like you must be old if you've grown this many inches. And so that's like the opposite of what under 18 year olds need in the industry you're supposed to be 18 to look younger and I was constantly being asked by adult men what school I went to and okay. now I know they meant college but I was like hail and they'd be like where's that and I'd be like down the street from my house <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so it really wasn't in the cards and my mom knew that which is awkward for her uh, of just sort of like not only did she not support it on like, you know, intellectual and moral reasons, she was also just sort of like, you're not going to make it, kid. Oh, no. And uh, <laughs> so that was in my head a lot of just like, I'm not it. I'm not like, or, or maybe when I'm older, I can do it. But like, as a child, I wanted it so bad, but knew it wasn't really <laughs> going to work. I still tried to, get, I got an agent. I like looked it up in the yellow pages and showed up at a mall and I skipped school. I, I had a special work permit that my mom signed. I don't know how I got her to sign it, but she signed it. And I would leave school to go to weird auditions, like by myself, which I don't think is allowed. I think if you're under 18, a parent has to be there. Oh yeah. But somehow I never got any of these weird, like one was like a drug PSA or like a commercial for Dick's Sporting Goods, where the lady who was my agent told me I could show up in any sports uniform. So I wore my basketball uniform and everyone else was wearing a softball uniform. And it was just sort of like, Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, <laughs> at least I have something I can blame on why I didn't get this. So when it was time to go to college, I was like, I must go to NYU. There are no other schools. Movies had a big influence on me as far as like telling me about my future, like many of us. So to me, it was like NYU if you want your dreams to come true, you can't have them without this key ingredient. Like it is step one and it's a non-starter without it. It was like that serious to me. And my parents moved across the damn world to go to the schools in Los Angeles. They separately moved here from Israel and like happened to meet. And their big dream was that they were going to pay for the education of their children in this state that is full California has a ton of state schools that are like good schools. So that was their plan, their dream. They worked so hard for it. And I was fucking it up uh, by insisting I wanted to go to NYU. And they told me not to apply. I applied. I drove to the Doubletree Resort and did my monologues that I had gone to Barnes and Nobles and copied down out of a book because I, it, I didn't have money to buy it. And also it just like didn't occur to me to, yeah. to buy it, I think, because I did have jobs as a kid. I think I could have bought it, but I just was like, no, this, I'm just going to copy them down. I ended up getting in, but 
the like realities of paying for it. My family could not pay for it. And it's insane to even expect your parents to do such a thing. Like I, I, I feel properly stupid now. It wasn't that I was just sort of being like, this is what I want and I need it. It was like, I can't do my future without this. Mm-hmm. So even though I got in, I declined because it was just like, I looked into getting loans and looked into selling my eggs to go. And Shay, I don't mean to brag, but my eggs were very valuable. Oh, <laughs> did you sell it? You didn't sell any? I didn't do it. I announced okay. it. So I, I happened to have the, I, this was all just like on my family, you know, living room computer mm-hmm. searching and ask Jeeves search probably of just like, how to make money. And I stumbled upon a a Jewish site, which I think is weird in hindsight, but Jews would pay top dollar for other Jews eggs. And have you ever done use TurboTax? Uh, Maybe. So when you're using TurboTax, with every form you enter, there's a little tracker on the side that shows you your federal and state return. And it's like really fun to watch the number go up. And then if you put in a 1099, the number goes down and it's like, so you're watching your value go up and down. Literally, it was that with every like stat I put in of like tall, big money, mm. um, uh, good grades, my GPA, big money, big money. <laughs> like Ooh. just watching this like wow. game show go up, and it would not have sustained any kind of payment, and my life would have been hell if I had a like long term plan of donating eggs. But that's how you know young and stupid I was, and I announced it to my parents at Shabbat dinner. And my dad started to cry. <laughs> oh, no. And I was like, oh, what? Is this like a big decision that I should consider more? <laughs> and I just kind of caved and chose a school that I sort of immediately switched one movie dream for another, where it was like, if I'm not going to go to a renowned school and study and become immediately a famous actor off of that, I want a bottle blonde like a surfer dude college experience that's going to be as much partying and as much fun as possible. And I chose to go to UC Santa Barbara of the California schools that I got into and chose to just like totally not study acting at all. I I, I was like, if I'm not, what's the point? If it's like, it's embarrassing to do it if it's not at NYU. So I'm just going to choose like what's practical and honestly what's easy and what like, sounds impressive way too much of my life I have made choices based on things that just like seem like I could tell someone this and they would be impressed by me and that's the reason why I wanted to be an actor yeah <laughs> um, it's the reason why I have a degree in political science <laughs> so silly um, but I did really enjoy the classes and like many of my friends who we talk about this it's like I would kill to take those classes now mm-hmm. because I heard a lot of the sound of buzzing for four years of my education. Like I literally heard like wah, wah, wah and like the the dial tone Yeah. instead of actually taking in an education. But, you know, maybe someday we'll go back. Because you're going, you're, you're remembering stuff so you can get an A on your test. You can get an A on your homework. Like that is the point of school. It's not to learn. It's to pass these tests. Yes. I aced, I'm good at school. I I Mm -hmm. got really good at school of like, what do I need to appear like I'm doing well? I had a couple classes that all involved reading that were memorable. I took one class that was using science fiction to discuss politics. A lot of classes really satisfied both my majors. I also doubled in comparative literature, but that's too long to list. Um, I just, I just fucking read and took classes But um, that was really cool. We read like Starship Troopers and discussed like, you know, any good story is about something. Mm -hmm. And most sci-fi is representing a pretty, it's it's borrowing from some pretty clear political situations or wars or periods of time. So it's like, it doesn't take much to turn things into sci-fi from reality. So I definitely enjoyed it I was about to try to make a stretch and say I use that in my work now but I don't I just still read sci-fi yeah <laughs> but the the big thing that mattered was like week two of being at UC Santa Barbara which is literally a college on the beach like people are wearing 
bathing suits underneath their tank tops and like teeny tiny Hollister shorts. It, it, it is the California college joke of a dream. It, it really was amazing is um, I was depressed. I was like, I can't believe that I ruined the rest of my life. Like I couldn't see the shining sun and glittering ocean and like rolling hills and hot people everywhere. I just was like, so focused on this dream of mine having been dashed. But week two, one of the short form improv teams performed at my dorm and Shay, <laughs> that changed everything. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, that like saved the whole experience and. That's awesome. Yeah. That, and that's why people should go to any school if they have the opportunity, the massive privilege, like as I'm sitting here, I, I, what a sh- shithead I was of like not wanting to be in this lucky place where my parents were paying for it. Yeah. That is like graduating college at zero is an incredible privilege that I am realizing more and more as time goes of just like, that is not everyone's case and mm-hmm. you can work hard and have no connections and still have had to hustle, but get, getting that leg up is so massive. So eventually the the huge gifts that my parents gave me became very very clear and getting to do short form improv for four years is, is um, it was a blast it was a damn blast and a privilege you triple majored in uh, also short form improv one of my teammates and I joked about that because he was a history major and we had a lot of the same classes and it was just sort of like yeah we're doing these classes but our blood sweat and tears are going into promoting this group and every year we would audition new people. And it was like, it was, it had some trappings of a fraternity or sorority in that way of just like caring a lot about making sure this group will survive when we graduate. And like, yeah, we, I really do think I majored in short form improv if we're talking like hours spent and what I actually cared about. Yeah. It was, it was buzzers and bells and party quirks for sure. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I get that. I mean, going to UCB for however many years, that's another college, too. You know, it's 100%. like just more classes. So I, I heard in an interview that I listened with you in the Why Won't You Date Me by Nicole Byer. Ooh. And you said in the interview, you were talking about your friends, maybe from college or maybe from like high school, and you wanted to like reconnect with them. But at first you like kind of ran away because you were like, you wanted to get on the road to success. You just like wanted to go, you'll catch that success and then you'll come back to them and everything will be cool. So I'm just kind of interested in knowing what did success mean to you at that time? Oh, shit. That's a really good question. I think it meant a lot of surface level things that I thought equaled happy. Yeah. Because I wanted to be happy, but if I had to break down what happy meant, I wanted to be seen as interesting so desperately wanted to be seen as interesting my older sisters are identical twins and I think that this is just like forever residual like resentment from that of just like they literally would walk into a room and people would be like wow yeah so interesting (laughs) it's like give me a fucking break they don't do anything (laughs) they just like listen up like Ani DeFranco and Nirvana and just like are mean to our parents. That is <laughs> nothing to be proud of. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to be interesting. I wanted to have a mansion that had floors that were see-through and that had fish in them. Yeah. I wanted the things that like little kids want way longer than other people did. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to have like slides instead of stairs and uh, <laughs> it's like, how do you get upstairs? Um, but uh, I wanted to be seen as interesting by people who wanted to date me. Like I wanted people like falling at their feet and just like coming involuntarily at the sight of me. And I, yeah, I think those were the big ones. Like, yeah, yeah some pretty immature ideas of, of success. But to me, I don't, I wonder if it's an LA thing. I'll, I'll never be able to know. Cause I think it's all of us came to LA because we were so like taken by the entertainment industry. So I don't think it's just being from here, but I really was like, what's the best way to do that actor. Yeah. And I, I happen to like storytelling and I like being on stage. So it's like, it wasn't even that I thought I was particularly suited for it or um, that I had 
I, I thought that I was very, very special. Um, and I believed my, my mom and dad when they told me that I was, but I didn't really believe I was this like incredible acting talent. I just was like, well, special people go and become actors. So mm-hmm. that's what I better do. And, um, the, the thing you're referencing, it was actually my high school friends that I, I sort of neglected because I had met these short form improv, on the short form improv team, I met these people who my friends from high school are hilarious, truly, 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 like maybe funnier than anyone ever in the world and smart and like interesting. And, and I constantly maybe was trying to like, feel like I could run with them, which is why I wanted to be more interesting. But these people that I met in college were so talented specifically at comedy. It's the same thing when you then get to UCB and you're meeting people who are so funny, your brain cannot get enough that feeling like just like a pleasure center erupting in your brain of like I didn't know people could be funny on command like this like I had grown up liking stand-up and whose line even but I, I didn't really appreciate the like art of it so being taught short form games being able to play them pretty well and then standing and watching your teammates play I still think these guys are so fucking funny and not all of them are still in comedy. Some of them still are, but it's just like the love affair that I had made me like want to run in that direction. Like I'm going to be with these people. We're going to go to LA. They want the same things I do. We're going to pull each other up. Like I didn't think we would like all get the same job or like all work at the same place. I knew we were like different individuals with different, you know, goals and skills, but like we were going to do it together and we were all going to succeed. And then we would be like Judd Apatow or like, you know, like SNL crews of people that make movies together. And like, that's what we're going to do. And that became the like slightly more specific goal of like, I don't just want to be an actor. I want to be a comedian and I want to be a comedian with a group of friends like these guys who are, I say guys, because I think unfortunately they were mostly guys, but, um, (laughs) We, we added so many uh, women to the team, which was great. Um, but the, the year ahead of me and, and my year, it was um, there, there was one woman who was older than me who I like could not believe someone could be good looking and funny at the same time. Like all the shitty ideas about women in comedy, like I had absorbed as well. And um, she's hilarious. And it, yeah, I, I just was like, I need to put my nose down to the grindstone with these people until whatever success is possible can materialize because like this is too fun these people are too incredible I believe in us I believe in this and uh yeah I just was like okay as a group we're gonna go after this success I feel like I'm giving the longest answers to you I'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) no that's okay I'm I'm here for it and but uh, that's so interesting you know because we do tend to like, you know, when I moved out to LA, I was like, okay, you have to focus. Like you have to focus and have to leave this behind because it's, it's such a grind out in LA. You know, if you're not doing something, somebody else is doing something and they're getting ahead, you know, ahead with quote unquote, I totally get it. We do get that kind of uh, laser focus or um, tunnel vision, I guess, of, just going, just going. And we can't stop because then we'll be forgotten or we'll slow down or we'll get old or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I think too, when you said that, it made me think making my parents proud was mm-hmm. important to me. So they, they were kind of the only audience I ever worried about pleasing. My dad's an engineer. My mom is now a college professor later in life. She went and got a master's. So it's like, they're like professional, educated people, who were literally came from nothing, like did everything themselves. I, I'm so proud of them. And my sisters and I have talked about this, that like we were aware that we, and everyone I think feels this way about their parents, no matter what their parents' job is. That's almost like arbitrary that I even mention it, but it's just like, you feel that feeling of like our parents did something for us. So like at the very least we need to, we need to make it. And yeah. they weren't pleased that I was doing something as amorphous as the entertainment industry. That's something they don't understand. But 
it didn't really matter. Like if I was going to do it, I needed to make sure that I was doing it all the way. Like not just sitting around waiting for something to come. That was my, like my own made up contract of like, this is so fun. I want to do this for me, Mm -hmm. but the way that I'm going to approach it better be, I better be able to like show the receipts of my hustle. (laughs) So like day jobs, uh, a plenty, like there's like, I mean, of course, no, but it's a weird thing in our comedy community. Sometimes you'll be friends with someone for a few years and then you're finally like, why are you always available? <laughs> what's, what's going on? And then you find out like they didn't ever need a job. And um, right. I don't always think that's helpful. Even if it's your reality, it's like not necessarily helpful because those weird day jobs that I had all amounted to something, whether I could see it at the time or not, they all amounted to something. But um yeah, that, that it's like, yes, let's do the grind, but it was like for your own integrity, let's like really go all the way. And, and it doesn't mean we know what we're doing or like where to start, but it's just like, I better have like five plates spinning to see mm-hmm. which one is going to be uh, the one that pays off. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And so obviously your a view of success has changed over time. So what does it mean to you now? I do think it's still evolving. So I moved from wanting to be an actor to wanting to be a writer out of necessity because uh, I couldn't I couldn't get a job. So in my like late 20s, I finally started admitting to myself like, okay, maybe it's not in the cards for me. Um, but people seem to keep telling me that I'm a writer or could be a writer. So it's like, okay, fine, let's fucking see this. And I think having been scrabbling away at one thing and failing, essentially I failed. And then more recently shifting to something new that I am starting to work in. It's just as hard when you're getting the work as it was when you're not. And we all know that the jobs in in the entertainment industry, for the most part, they all end. Like even when you're a writer, which to so many people feels more practical for no reason. It's just Mm. It's just as temporary. It's just as transient. So it's like, that's a made up impression. Um, So I think I would have said like a year ago, it would be to like, just to get a job would be success. But that is a big joke because, (laughs) and and we got to just look at the, you know, look at the one thing ahead of us. But I think now I'm more leaning towards Oh God. I don't know. I actually really don't know. I I am like unemployed right now. So you caught me at a moment where I'm just like, I don't fucking know. I, and it doesn't have to be external either. Okay. That I can answer. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Like success. Yeah. If if it's external, those things come and go, but it's like, Oh, I get to work with my friends or I get to do what I love or whatever. Yeah. totally. I was being really literal with that and it was stressing me out. (laughs) Yeah. So in, in that case, success to me would be doing a mix of working on other people's stuff, making my own stuff. I think it's um, very relaxing to do other people's stuff because it's not on you. Um, You just show up and say, some silly stuff and some ideas and it's up to them. I also really like being at the wheel and just like, I think it should be this and following Mm -hmm. that creatively. I think like getting to do a mix of those would be a dream and um, having months out of the year where you don't do anything, Yeah, (laughs) which we get a lot, but it's like not um, voluntary. (laughs) I'm currently on an involuntary vacation. Yeah. And um, yeah, like if, that would be the dream. And and all along the way, doing as much of it with friends as possible, the time off as well as the jobs. And um, yeah. that would be success. That would be like major success. One thing, my, my dad has like occasional moments of sage wisdom. And one thing he told my sisters and I was, uh, feel your soul and your pocket. <sighs> and I don't know if he realized how profound he was being, but it's like, yeah. you know what? Yeah. Like, maybe some people are okay being like totally broke and stuff. And I I think that's great, but it's like, that's not really an option for me for many reasons. No, no shit. But also making sure like, if you can make money doing what you love, I would like to fill my soul and also fill my pocket. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Maybe I'll have your dad on the podcast. 
Um, that would be a wild ride. I, I fucking dare you to. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, a, maybe a double, maybe double. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, talking about that, you had a show at UCB with Jake Jabor, Word Gross. Woo-hoo! Um, I just watched there. There's a roast of you too. I just watched that earlier on YouTube. Very funny. And I, and I went to one or two shows. I'm pretty sure both of you were naked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's us. <laughs> Cover, I covered my eyes. Um, oh no! <laughs> so sorry. I'm selfishly um, really glad. Um, yeah. The reason why we chose to be naked was to see just in case if people would stand, point, and go like, "Yuck!" <laughs> <laughs> so saying you covered your eyes was a real blow yeah. to the ego. But um, <laughs> that's your right. That's that that's on right. me. Honestly, that's on me. It's not because of you all. No, um, no, no. It's definitely because of <laughs> okay, us. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know if I would ever do that, but what inspired you to create We're Gross? Yeah, did you like write a lot for that show? And so uh, I have a couple questions. What inspired you? Were you like a big writer on that show? Because, you know, I've produced shows, but like, right, it's kind of like a talk show, right? And there's a lot of writing that goes into it. And then what did you learn from that whole experience? And is it coming back? You heard it here first. Ooh. It's coming back. Oh uh, yes. We always we always meant for it to come back. It was um yeah. okay, so so from the first part of that question, um yeah. thank you for even asking if it's coming back because <laughs> that's nice. I don't know, even yeah. if you didn't mean it to be nice, it's nice. Um Jake and I met yesterday and talked about this a ton. So mm. it's very, very like raw and fresh um in my heart. So funnily enough. The show was inspired by Jake. He came up to me. We had already been pals around the UCB community, like casually, um, but not super close yet at that moment. Just the way we all have like, we all have like nine best friends and then a hundred acquaintances that are also friends. Like, you know, like we're all so lucky to have that um, or we were, and I hope we get it back. He, I think it was like in the conversation at the moment of like all these late night hosts, like, for real professional ones being men, you know, like, why are they all men? And and we need more women in this space. And um, he was like, I think you would be a good talk show host. And I think we should make a show together. So there's nothing funnier than like empowering a woman and like me saying like, yeah, it's going to be a female led show, but it was the idea of a man. Um, (laughs) I can't even tell you how good I felt. Like, I remember, I think we were at, um, Franklin and Co. or what used to be Franklin and Co. like a, a you know restaurant right next door to the UCB theater in Los Angeles and just meeting because he said he like had an idea for a show for someone to say something like that to you like I could cry just thinking about it it was so nice and I still feel the like warmth of just someone who I think is great saying like I think I think you should host a show in this way and I obviously thought it was a great idea. So that was the inspiration. What was the writing like? Like, did you write for that show? A hundred percent. So it's like a mix of writing and producing, like some stuff I would say we wrote the segment, but it's like, we didn't necessarily jot anything down, but it was such a great experience and I want it back so badly. And, and I'm, I'm, we're, we're planning on bringing it back, but um, I don't fully remember the details of how we got on the topic, but it started to become clear that what it, he was going to be my co-host and, and like the show was always equally the two of us coming together. Jake is an incredibly supportive person. So it's like, if I had an idea, he was like, yes, let's do it. And if he had an idea, it was like, yes, let's do it. And um, I probably would tweak his because I'm a bully, but um, <laughs> they didn't necessarily need tweaking. I'm just a fucking uh, real opinionated person. He was very supportive, always, always. But it really, truly was a 50% like in writing and producing the show. And uh, we wrote monologue jokes. That was probably the most straightforward writing. And sometimes we would get really, really, really funny people in to do it with us, which was so great. Kind of trying to mimic the way it would be in a writer's room. Um, although I think a lot of monologue joke writers, like I think SNL, it's a, some people in person and some people just submit every week mm. so it's like them alone but it was so fun to come up with an excuse to meet in a room at UCB and like pull up Yahoo news we learned over time it was like better to do the weirder news stories than something that was actually 
you know, you're not coming to this monthly show to hear anything uh, actually newsworthy. Yeah. Um, and that was really, really helpful. Connor Shin and Joan Ford and Matt Manser would come a lot. And um, they taught me, um, Matt Manser like tweets a lot of monologue style jokes a lot. Like it's something he is doing and has done. And there's like a structure to them. And it was really, really valuable to get used to that. And I was at the time trying, I, I submitted to quite a few late night show writing gigs and, and did sample packets and working on the show absolutely improved that skill, like times a thousand, uh, many, many more people submitted jokes to the show. So that was like a group effort that was really cool. And then Jake and I started to land on the show, having a more emotional theme. Like we would get together, go on a walk and literally start with like, how are you? And tell each other what was going on in that week. And it slowly turned into like, oh, that could be a segment in whatever way. Like um, he and I talked a lot about how both of us don't want children. That's something we've both known for a long time. And that turned into many segments. Um, I had um, a couple's therapist uh, suggest that I have a child to save my relationship just as like, that's an option I could do. And that was very upsetting to me. And that turned into a segment where Jake and I created PowerPoint presentations to see, like, can another person convince us to have a kid? Always had the funniest UCB population that we could pull from to come and, like, do bits. At, like, Robert Stevens, I didn't tell Jake, but I asked Robert Stevens to come and interrupt Jake in the middle of his bit, playing like a little boy and improvising <laughs> with him to get, like, fatherly advice. And it was so beautiful. Like Jake is a very nurturing person. It doesn't mean he should be a father. Same with me. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, it was incredibly personal and cathartic for us to just make the show. And, and the thing we realized on our walk yesterday that we were able to like articulate was making it was way more important than doing it. Even though doing it was super fun. I got the biggest rush being naked or doing something stupid in front of an audience full of people who had a reaction to it, like so much fun. But he and I meeting and coming up with stuff was so important to my life for so long. And I got to say, having a show where your name is in the title, I got a ton of opportunity through that. Hmm. Um, being on an improv team is super fun. Everyone should do it. It doesn't matter where you do it or if you get main stage time, like if you're vibing with a group of people in a living room, that is absolutely good for your soul and so fun. If that is something you're interested in doing, that's great. But I think it's very rare that that will get you a job. And it's important that we do stuff that isn't for a job. It's like not yes. everything needs to be for an end. But I think some people do improv for like decades and are confused why nothing ever came of it. And I got lucky that... Jake came to me with this idea and we put my name in the title and I got a lot of meetings. I got a lot of, um, when you have someone saying like, Hey, I think you're funny. Where can I see you? If they come see your improv show, that's great. But they're seeing you do one skill when they would come to see me do the show. They knew that I wrote some of the jokes. They knew that I co-produced the segments and I had a time and a place where I could say, come see me show these skills to you. Yeah. And I think that did a lot. You know, again, it was like more important for my mental and emotional well-being that I got to become incredibly close with Jake, who's one of my best friends now. And like, that is way more valuable and always will be. But I think about it a lot when I think about like, what did UCB do for me in quotes? Or like, what did, how did I use that platform? And, and I think that show getting to do a show with your name in it that demonstrates that you have tangible skills, which improv is such a huge skill and it we use it in the writer's room constantly, but it's not the same as what it takes to like, yeah, write jokes or uh, complete a script. So you you want to like show if, if that is something you want to do, it's good to find other ways to show it. Yeah, you brought up so many great points. Uh, I mean, one thing is making it versus the actual doing it and stage time. It's like people were like, well, I want to be on stage and I want to have this show. And that's kind of how it is working as well. The work takes a lot longer than just the hour show that you go and perform. Like uh -huh. it's not just the show, it's all of the behind the scenes 
that you don't see. Even with the TV show, you know, it's like, I want to be on that 30 minute episode. And it's like, yeah, but a lot more goes, there's pre-production, production, post-production, like there's so much that goes into it that people don't really take into account, I think. There's like an army of people. A lot of the work that I've gotten to do has been during COVID. So I've been separated from the shooting process. And that that's my like big goal dream. If I get the chance, it's just like, I want in baby. I want a location scout. What's that? Let me come. I want a seat in the van. I think is what they do. They all get in a van and they drive around. That seems fun, (laughs) but it's like, there's so many. Yeah. Like, like exactly what you're saying. I was just like, you don't have to like every single bit of it. There are times that are frustrating and, and tough. And I got anxiety doing the show sometimes, which I think is interesting. Like when you're changing over time, you also change as a performer. And that's okay. And I was really hard on myself about that of like, this isn't as simple or easy as it, as it was for me maybe five years ago. Or like, I understand game. Why can't I get up and do it right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, I get it. I, I teach it. Uh-oh. Um, and like, it's not always there for you. Like, you being at your best isn't always there for you. So it's like, if you can like the environment that you're in, it's uh, pretty important and Yeah, being there through it all. I like it. So I want to talk more about your writing. You write for the other two, which is hilarious. I love it. And then AP Bio. And I'm curious, what do you think, like top three strengths for you gave you those opportunities? Interesting. It could be like, oh, you wrote uh, for years, you know, you yeah, wrote for, for many sure. years, connections, you like really wanted it and you really focused on it, like mentors, mentorship programs, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I am good in a meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening and you're list- you're wondering, this bitch is good <laughs> one-on-one conversation. I don't think so. I am. I am good in a meeting when I've gotten to that point. I've mostly gotten the jobs. Yeah. Not all of them, but I've gotten them. Mm-hmm. And I'm superstitious enough to knock on a little wood right now. I knocked on the, the a treasure chest that I've had since I was little because oh. I believed in fairies for way too long and <laughs> full of weed now. Yes. Um, I am good in a meeting. I think it is a nerve wracking situation. So in the process to become a writer, I'm going to just say it in case someone listening doesn't know. There's like 50 million things that are happening that you have no control over. If you have a literary agent, which is sort of the like typical uh, to get sort of like bigger network or streaming jobs, you need, uh, you can't, it's very difficult to just send your own script somewhere. You have an agent who's heard that the job existed, heard that they're looking for people and they have submitted you. They've maybe gone back and forth, literally trying to like pitch you like a, a good product. Like you want this person you need their type. There, there's like ranks in a writer's room. So you need someone at this at this uh, level of writing in their career. So they're doing all that stuff and you can do absolutely nothing about it. And then you usually get a meeting with some of the producers or um, an executive. And this is still something I'm a little bit unclear on, but it's like someone's covering the show, which means they're Oh God, I'm not, I'm, gonna, I'm backing off now from trying to define it, but it's like, you're meeting with people who are not the showrunners, but they are important to the show. They're going to help funnel people onto the, to the showrunner. So that is a meeting that might have a few people in it. And I'm usually pretty good at those. I think that you need to, the thing everyone says is like, you just need to show them that you're not crazy because they're going to be trapped in a room with you for weeks at a time. And uh, I think it's more than that. I think you want to seem like, seem like, you know, you don't want to fake anything, Mm -hmm. but you want to demonstrate that you are a pleasant person to be around that. Like it would be fun, especially in a comedy room that it could potentially be fun. Um, This is not a moment where I whip out the googly eyes. (laughs) Not yet anyway, but I fucking would if it felt right. But, um, I think people get really nervous and forget that it's like, this is a show. I think being an entertainer and coming from an improv background, a lot of friends, I can imagine being really good at it too. Just like, 
um, their whole day was full of emails and phone calls and annoying demands from people. And they're taking a few hours to meet with a few different people. So it's like, let it be a good time. I, I think it's more fun for me that way. And it doesn't mean that nerves aren't present. It's still like exciting and you might really get excited about the prospect of the job and it's hard to ignore that. But I think if you use nerves as a, I think the term is like, use it as a tailwind, like let it push you forward rather than hold you back. You can express whatever. Um, you can be visibly sweaty. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and then if they have sort of like approved of you and like you, I think at that point they read your sample or they tell the showrunner they should read your sample, which is your, your pilot, your half hour script. And then when you're meeting the showrunner, it's the same idea of just like, are you a human being? Can you connect? I don't think you should like write a comedy routine to perform at them, but that one-on-one -on -one interaction. Um, I also, my agent is a very cool person and I like her a lot. And she gave me the advice to ask for the job in the room and that feels insane because it's like, well, first of all, no shit. I want the job. I wouldn't have come to this coffee shop in Burbank if I didn't want the, like, of course I want the job. Yeah. I would have come to like, I would have driven 500 miles. Like, yeah. isn't that so apparent here? And I didn't want to say it. I remember the first time where she gave me that advice because it was one of my first meetings. And I thought to myself, like, if she said it, you need to do it. Like that's your, that's your end of the bargain. Like she got you this meeting. Yeah. If this is her advice, just do it. And if they think it's like overly ambitious or too eager, hopefully, you know, it's just one brief moment in a whole conversation. It's okay. And I was really glad that I did. And I do it every single meeting since of just like, there's a little bit of business involved and I think it's okay to be a business person in addition to being a creative. Being ambitious is not a bad thing, especially if it's like one simple direct statement of, I would really love to work on this. I think I would be such a great asset. And then I always couch it and like, um, and either way, I just am going to be so looking forward to seeing this show. Yeah, <laughs> like I, yeah, I can't, yeah. it's not in me to just let the, Stop. let the period go there, but, uh -huh. um, at least it's, it's being said. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. For for whatever reason, I, I think thinking of it as like sort of a, a, a little subdued performance. And I, I think I, I think I do well at that. Number one. Oh, God. <laughs> um, number two. Uh, yeah. Uh, the other two I got because I'm friends with Drew Tarver, who was cast as the lead. But I, I listened to your interview with Carl, and I mean, he said um, 50 million brilliant things. But um, one of the things that really resonated with me is like, so the showrunners asked Drew if he had, because they know he's a comedian, uh, if you have friends that you want to submit. And I think he was able to submit 10 people or something like that. They also like uh, were coming from New York, so they didn't know as many people in like the L.A. scene. So people are always asking, you never know who's going to be asking who for a recommendation. And I was able to take that meeting because I had a finished script. Um, and that was something Carl said. And I tell this to people all the time. If anyone does ask for advice, the only thing I can really, really say with confidence is like, you got to attach something to an email. If you say, come to my improv show or um, sure, I'll send it in a week. Um, yeah. which was all done. And guess what? It's not gonna be good. I'm right. so sorry. I hate saying definitive things because I am not like all knowing or like by any stretch, the queen of Hollywood, but just do yourself a favor and admit that the thing you banged out in a week, isn't going to be as good. Even if you pull it off and you're like, so proud of yourself, you're proud that you got it done in a week. I don't know that you can be proud that it's like your best work. And I have, I still, they haunt me like ghosts. They like um, the job opportunities that I was so lucky to be asked uh, to submit on things. And I didn't yet see myself as a writer or I didn't yet um, get over the fear of committing to writing words on paper and telling someone, this is what I think is good. There's a lot to be scared of. There's a lot, like all of that's real. But I banged out something and sent it along 
And I do believe there are people out there who can, I, I've even heard of a couple people who did it and like got the job. I don't think they're the rule. I think they're the major exception, major exception. And it's just like, yeah, it's just, it's going to happen to everyone. We all have to kind of like learn that painful lesson of like, sure, sure. Thank you so much. I will um, get you. I just need to polish it. Like right. fucking bullshit. It's so common too. I think we all go through it. So it's like, I don't, <laughs> I'm not trying to judge, but um, yeah. So I knew through Tarver and I had a good script uh, that I sent in an email. That's number two. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I think in general, um, yeah, the improv skills of in a writer's room, being able to listen and um, yes and what's going on. I sort of never see us being finished. Yeah. Sorry, let me let me rephrase that of like, I'm happy to say when someone says this is the best idea, let's go with it. But if we haven't found that yet, I say let's I, I don't feel like there's like a bottom to that well. Um, not that like me alone can, can keep just like pitching brilliant ideas all day, but I think I'm a good member of a group of people who can keep pitching things all day and um, not like we can see things more than one way and um, taking things a surprising way. I think I think that's like a direct translation from having an improviser's brain and doing all those reps. Um, I think that is my strong suit way more than like actually going and writing the script. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really enjoy that as well of just like, okay, so nothing like we're all kind of quiet. We're all kind of realizing something isn't working. Let's, we can go, let's bounce some ideas off. Let's yes. And each other, like um, maybe I didn't say the right thing, but maybe part of it unlocked something for the other person or, yeah, it's so, that part, I think, um, so many of my improviser friends who aren't necessarily looking to be writers or, like, are maybe still too scared, it's, like, that part we've got, the discipline and, like, actually structuring and writing a script, that stuff is really hard to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's three. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Love it. Thank you for sharing all of those <laughs> strings. Thank you. And so I'm wondering, again, a couple of questions. Like, what was something that surprised you when you got into a writer's room that you were like, oh, I didn't, I, I didn't think that this would be a thing? And what was something that maybe you expected to happen that kind of didn't? And it's okay also if you, that's hard of a question, you don't have an answer. But No, um, I want to. So something that surprised me. Um, writers are as emotional and dramatic as actors. Um, and that's like a good thing. I, I just thought because it wasn't something I was pursuing all along and I didn't really like, um, I was a nerd for TV, but not for TV writers. Um, which is funny because now that I am one, I'm like, we're the ones who do the important work. <laughs> I like totally, uh, like I am a, you know, card carrying proud member of the the tribe but um we I, I'm gonna say we because that makes me feel cool um we are artists and I think a lot of people want to try to like intellectual brain themselves out of that and some people are more inclined in that way for sure but um and, and I think everyone does have like an amazing intellect if you're even if you didn't go to maybe especially if you didn't go to school for it like um, there's no like degree that makes you more intellectual than someone else in a writer's room. Like everyone is like a great deep thinker and thoughtful and that's really cool. But there's also some tendencies to be like, everyone wants to talk shit and everyone wants like hot goss yes. and yeah. to be seen as cool. And like, um, which shouldn't have surprised me, but it like totally did because I think I saw writing, I, I mentioned as like a more sort of practical yep. version of, of a Hollywood job or like um, one of the branches of making a TV show, but it is not. Yeah. Um, and then what was the second part? I'm so sorry. You know, I mean, that's kind of the, it's kind of the same question. Uh, and I didn't oh, realize it, but like, did you, did you expect something going into a meeting? Because you kind of expected it to be intellectual and this yes. like practical thing, but. Yes, yes, yes. But emotional. But I will say I also expected it to be more of like 
I think I joined this field like at a time where things it's still predominantly white people, white men. I've absolutely, I know now have been a diversity hire and it's like, that's not good. Um, (laughs) I am a white lady. Um, Definitely not. Okay. Um, There are more, I was expecting it to be like old, old white men, like 60 year old. I know that's not necessarily old, but um, older, all white men. And I, the shows that I've worked on have had a lot of younger people. So that is promising um, and more of a mix of backgrounds. Not enough that. Okay. Now we did both. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I just really, yeah, I really wanted to know. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. So, okay. A couple more questions. What are you doing these days to level up? To level up. I am not fast. And I am leveling up by admitting that to myself. For a long time, I thought that if I could be the fastest, that would be like an asset that would be attractive to hire me. And I, that's not how I work. I can meet a deadline because you have to, but when I'm writing my own stuff, which I have the opportunity to do now, um, I'm like working on a project that I working on a pilot that I sold. Isn't that cool? Mm, it is. <laughs> sorry. You, um, okay. That's, that's another question. Okay, go. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I, I am making this the longest episode <laughs> no, of your podcast, yeah. I'm sure. Um, but I, but I, feel free to ask anything, but I, um, yeah, just, uh, admitting to myself, I guess this comes from my anger at, uh, trying to bang something out in a week when you clearly have nothing this is sort of stemming. This is explaining that passionate feeling because um I'm fast in a lot of other ways I can be quick-witted but when it comes to sitting at my computer and writing a script I find that to be very hard it still is hard for me it's um there's a formula I have I understand the formula for writing pilots but it doesn't make it easy it just is a good place to start for me personally it doesn't make it easy so I am leveling up by continuing to work and make things and um, allowing myself to like get rid of this pretense that I'm supposed to be really fast. And if you're not fast, you're not as smart or you're not as good at this, or you must not be this like wonderkin like you saw yourself as. And it's like, I, that is not true. If people like what I send them and I'm meeting the deadlines, I can allow myself to make something good in whatever fucking time it takes. And some days that means you sat at your computer and you couldn't make yourself right. Your head wasn't in it, but I wrote six things that later I'll use. And it's like, Oh fuck, this is going to take longer. And I don't want it to, but it's like, so what? That's how I'm leveling up. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I love that. It kind of reminds me of, I feel like it kind of reminded me of like, Carl's episode I mean he you know he said he banged out took eight hours Saturday and Sunday and banged out stuff I mean so that it's it's not doing it fast it's just oh a deadline that that's what he said it was like if you have a deadline like that's great you know when you're working with networks or, or whatever with people who are paying you or but when you're with yourself and you're just working on your own pilot like it's hard to give ourselves a deadline and actually stick to it Totally. And yeah. and for the record, what Carl was doing, he then mentioned how many revisions it went through. Right. He yep. didn't say at the end of a weekend, it's done. I'm right. I'm expecting this to be good enough. Like he also has a reputation. He has like, you know, he he's a genius. He's like so funny and smart. Yeah. So that process is great. And that is actually how I work as well. I spend two days banging it out, knowing that it's not good, being okay with that. And then this is when you're on script for a, a TV show, you get five days essentially, usually, or maybe a whole week to write it. And it took me a really long time and I failed a lot along the way, but like the process that works for me is spending two days, just making it exist in a document. And then however many more days you have actually making it good or actually making it funny, putting jokes in. So it's like, everyone's got their, their process. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. With the pilot, you said you sold it. Did you just sell the idea and then now you have to write the pilot? Is that how it yes. works? 
Yes. It is the longest process I have ever been a part of. Whatever money you get paid, which is extremely exciting, I'm very proud of. It is not money you can live off of um, Mm. because it's been, they give you this number that's really exciting, but I've been working on it for nigh on two and a half years. Um, Wow. It's lucky. You maybe have a writer say like, you better really like what you're working on because it's like, they'll make you go. And that makes sense. Like, I I don't, uh, these people have like 90 other TV shows that are already on the air. They don't have time, you know, like it's, it's a matter of like resources. It's not, um, it's not like anyone's like punishing you on purpose, but it takes a long time. So, uh, yeah, the process was, um, like coming up with the idea your agent likes it. They set you up to pitch it to production companies. So that was so many pitches. And then if one of them agrees to work with you, they set you up to pitch to studios. And then you, that's a million years. And then you pitch to networks. So it's like, I'm, I really only started the actual writing process in the last bit of all this. So yeah, it's like a big rigmarole, but um, I also find it fun. So yeah. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's cool. I mean, that's just good to know and good for, for people to know that too. Um, so, okay. I have one more question, but before that, where can we find you and support you? Hell yeah. Um, I am time to get Gil, T-I-M-E, the number two, G-I-L-L, um, like the Beastie Boys, what's the time? It's time to get Gil. Um, my friend Erica came up with that as my AOL screen name uh-huh. and we're sticking with it. I don't post a ton if I'm being honest, um, but uh, that I, I exist uh, in those places and um, it's worth following because Jake and I are going to do We're Gross Again. We don't know when we're, we're giving ourselves permission to take our time uh, because the world is different and we're different and we don't want to kind of just like do exactly what we were doing uh, before right. without considering like feels very... Wizard of Oz, like, come out, come out. Like, we're all just like weird munchkins creeping out of our our homes. Yeah. Uh, the world is Technicolor once again. <laughs> um, this is one instance where we don't want to have a deadline and just do it because of the deadline. It, it, this is purely a, a for fun show, but um, look out for that. And it would be yeah. cool if people came and um, you'll have a nice cathartic time uh, yeah. at a talk show. Yes. Okay, well, one last question. What is some advice that you would give to someone who wants to be as prepared as possible, I'd say, to get into a writing room, to be a writer, but also just for the journey of being a writer? Great question. I will say this. I was scared. I kind of mentioned that before, like, um, it took me a long time to say out loud that I wanted to be an actor. So I felt extra bad saying that I wanted to be something else. I felt like that made me seem wishy-washy, like a bunch of silly ideas that I felt like I was not being like honorable in changing my idea about what I could be good at. So um, I think be willing to go after what you want and also pay attention to what seems to be coming your way. And if that changes your mind about what you're going to be doing with your life, that's okay. You get to decide if you stay the course or if you sort of recalibrate and and pursue something else. And then the only other thing I'll say is when I was still in this mode where it was becoming clear, there's no age limit on when you should do this but it was just sort of I wasn't enjoying not working as an actor (laughs) I wasn't I wasn't enjoying not having a creative way to be a part of the entertainment industry which is really essentially what I wanted um and some people really cool people Laura Chin and Rachel Bloom both separately who are like massive successes and at the time were like our pals at UCB they were actually probably already doing really cool shit but just peers at UCB told me you're a writer or you're just scared. Like, just do it. I don't think anyone can just tell you to stop being scared. There's like a lot of ingredients that need to happen. But um, I think 
getting encouragement and then leaning on friends to read my writing was massively important. And I asked a lot of friends to do it. And some of them were friends who were in writer's rooms and some of them were not. They were like me. They were just trying to learn. So um, be willing to be open to the idea of going to where you can get hired if it still falls under the umbrella of like what you want in this life. Yeah, it, be as encouraging as you can for other people because then they will encourage you as well. Ah. <laughs> yes, I love it. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And just thank you in general for sharing your life being vulnerable on this podcast. It was really great. That's just so fun. And I really enjoy listening. Yeah. What what a what a good idea to just like, even if someone's advice doesn't apply to us, just hearing that people are out there trying is always so fun. So thanks for putting these out. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you uh, to everybody who's listening. This is Level Up with Shay, and we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, take a screenshot on your phone, share it on Instagram, and tag me at Level Up with Shay, and tag Gilly at Time to Get Gil. Go follow her on social media, even though she says she doesn't post much. At least go to her page and look at her beautiful golden retriever pup so cute. All of the links you need to find her and her pup, Wilma, are in the show notes. Subscribe to Level Up with Shay wherever you get your podcasts. Again, thank you so much for being here, especially since it is the very last interview episode of season two. It's been great, but I'll see you in some solo episodes coming up. Until then, it's time to level up. <laughs>